Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Criminal Discourse Podcast. I'm Trish, and usually Maddie jumps in here to give her name, but unfortunately, we could not make it work this week with trying to record an episode as we are both doing this remotely, and we're trying to coordinate work schedules and childcare. It is insane. So in these unprecedented times, I'm going to be doing it solo this week, but I want to take a few moments and thank our listeners in New Jersey. Thank you, Pleasantville. Newark, New Plainfield, Wayne, Ridgewood, Trenton, Mantow, Marlton, Elmwood Park, West Milford, Hillsborough, Woodbridge, Gloucester City, Ashbury Park, Randolph, Tannock, Lakewood, Chatham, Cherry Hill, Toms River, Glassboro, Princeton, New Milford, Williamstown, Piscataway, Sea Isle City, Bergenfield, Clifton, Camden, Hoboken, Point Pleasant, Dover, Fort Lee, Sadelbrook, Hamilton, and Nutley. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We appreciate you all. And if you haven't had an opportunity, please check out our website. It's at criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. There you will find all of our show notes. And there is also a contact page so you can give us a little feedback. We've had some listeners reach out to us with some very nice things to say and to give us some case suggestions. And we've done a few of them. I think the most recent one was, oh, Julius Jones from Oklahoma City. That had come from Mandy, a listener out in Oklahoma. Also, you can check out our Facebook page. It's a Criminal Discourse Podcast, and we do have an Instagram page. It is Criminal Dis Pod, D-I-S. So this episode takes place in Riverside, California, specifically near Camp Pendleton, which is located adjacent to Oceanside, California. Camp Pendleton is the largest West Coast base of the United States Marine Corps, established in 1942 to train Marines for World War II deployment. It was named after Major General Joseph Henry Pendleton, who had advocated for a permanent base of operations on the West Coast of the United States, specifically for Marine training. His hard work paid off, and Camp Pendleton was formally established in 1944. So on the morning of October 16th, 2008, in a quiet neighborhood in the French Valley in southern Riverside County in a home located on the 3000 block of Bermuda Avenue, which was again just blocks from the gate of Camp Pendleton, officers would discover a horrendous crime scene when they were contacted to conduct a welfare check. The couples whose home that the officer arrived at belonged to newlyweds, Marine Sergeant Yannick Petrzak, who was 24, and his wife, Kiana Faye Jenkins Petrzak, who was 26. The young couple had only been married for about 67 days before their new beginning would end so tragically. Kiana's co-workers had contacted police when she had failed to show for work that day, and they were not able to get a hold of her, and this was highly suspect because she never just not showed up. So Officer Matthew Hughes was radioed to conduct the check, and when he arrived, he found the front door wide open. Now, Yannick's supervisor at Camp Pendleton had also contacted the Riverside County Sheriff's Department around 9 a.m. that morning when the same thing. They weren't able to get a hold of Yannick. Yannick had failed to show, and again, not like him at all, and they couldn't reach him on the cell, so they also had radioed into the police department. So Officer Hughes, upon arriving at the scene and noticing the door was open and no one responding when he yelled in, called for backup right away. So when another officer arrived, they entered the home, and that's when they saw a purse had been dumped on the floor on the right side of the front door. They saw that cabinet doors had been opened, and the house smelled of a mixture of natural gas and gasoline. When the officers entered the living room, they found the lifeless bodies 
of Kiana and Yannick on the floor. Yannick had been beaten prior to his death. He had bruising on his right side and on his back, where you could clearly tell shoe patterns had been left, indicating that he had been stomped on so hard that they were able to leave impressions. Both of Yannick's wrists were duct taped and his right wrist had been secured to his ankles, which were both bound by red duct tape. A sock had been placed over his mouth and was, was secured with more duct tape. He was found in a kneeling position with his head down facing a pillow. Kiana's clothes had been removed and her wrists had also been duct taped behind her using the same red duct tape. A sock had been placed over her eyes and secured by the same tape. And it appeared that she may have been a victim of a sexual assault as a vibrator and a red candle were found between her legs. When the vibrator would later be tested for DNA, it was Kiana's DNA. Both had been tortured and each shot in the head, execution style, at close range. Kiana had been shot in the upper back of her neck and another gunshot had entered the right side of her forehead. Now Yannick had three gunshot wounds to his head, one to the left ear, one to the right cheek, and one to the back of his head. Police could see that the home had been ransacked and whoever committed these murders had also tried to light the house on fire as there was evidence of several small fires had been set, but apparently they had not taken. A gas can would be found in the kitchen. Police could also see multiple sets of shoe prints left throughout the house as the perpetrators had dumped alcohol all over the floors to try to light the fires. There were at least three sets of distinct shoe print patterns left on the floor. Racial slurs had also been spray-painted around the house, and the letter C had been spray-painted on Kiana's stomach. You see, Yannick and Kiana were an interracial couple. Yannick Petrzak was born in Poland and raised in the Bentonhurst area of Brooklyn, New York, when his family immigrated to the United States when he was 11 years old. After the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001, Yannick joined the Marines in 2003, always wanting to serve in the military and give back to his adopted country. Yannick ended up serving in Iraq from July 2005 to February 2006 as a helicopter mechanic. He was then transferred back to the United States in 2006 and stationed at Camp Pendleton and worked as a helicopter mainframe mechanic with the Marine Medium Helicopter Squadron. Kiana Faye Jenkins had met Yannick in 2005 prior to him being deployed to Iraq, and they had met through a mutual friend who had attended San Diego State University with Kiana. Kiana had grown up in the San Bernardino area and was a 2005 graduate of San Diego State University, where she had earned a master's degree in public health. She worked as a counselor at the Riverside County Infant Care Program and had aspirations of studying to become an anesthesiologist. The young couple had gotten married on August 8, 2008. Her mother had said in an episode of NCIS Investigations, which aired on CBS, that Kiana had set the date of their wedding so Yannick would always remember their anniversary. 8808. So smart. So back to the investigation. Riverside Sheriff's Office investigators Sergeant Gary LeClaire and Benjamin Ramirez, along with NCIS Special Agents Matthew Timmons and Heidi Schumacher, worked the Petrzak murders together. From the beginning, investigators knew they were looking for at least three perpetrators based upon the shoe impressions found in the entryway of the home. And two of the shoe impressions belonged to someone who wore Nike Air Force One sneakers and also Nike Cortez sneakers. Now, there were no shell casings found at the scene, which meant that the shooter had either used a revolver, because they don't leave casings, or had taken the time to pick up the shell casings. 
a knife would be found on the table in the living room, but didn't look to have any DNA on it. There were also open bottles of alcohol poured on the floor. Now, investigators noted that Kiana's wedding ring and engagement rings were missing, and Yannick had an expensive Movado watch that was gone, and a diamond pearl necklace belonging to Kiana was also missing. Along with all that jewelry, there were an earring and bracelet set gone, a silver men's bracelet with a black inlay, a man's gold chain with a pendant attached, and a woman's gold necklace that was a three-diamond pendant. Now, in the master bedroom, NCIS investigators noticed that Yannick's sea bag, and this is a bag where Marines store all their military gear in, was still in the closet. So it's a bag that if they have to deploy immediately, everything they're going to need is in that bag. And they felt that the only people that wouldn't really steal this was somebody who maybe already had one. So investigators found another piece of evidence from an ATM machine that was located less than a half mile from the back of Camp Pendleton. At 3.20 a.m. on October 16th, someone had used Kiana's PIN code to withdraw several hundred dollars from the Petrazak's joint account. Now, on the video, investigators could only see someone wearing a blue bandana over their face and gloves on their hands with the word mechanics written on them. The ATM machine happened to be on the quickest route someone would take from the Petrazak's home to Camp Pendleton or vice versa. Investigators started to focus on the military connection, looking into Marines who perhaps worked with Yannick because they felt that there was just the fact that nobody took the go bag and it was so close located to Camp Pendleton. Is there somebody that targeted Sergeant Petrzak? So two of Yannick's friends were talked to from the base, and they told investigators that Yannick was a talker. He liked to brag about his wife and the life they were building together and her accomplishments, and he talked openly about his reenlistment bonus that he had gotten of $30,000 and having lots of cash on hand at his house, along with all their wedding gifts. Now, Yannick, they found out, although a friendly talker, was also a strict sergeant when it came to his job. He wanted it done right. And he felt if they didn't do it right, lives would be at stake. He would rub some of the newer Marines the wrong way when he was on them for not doing their job correctly. These were Marines that Yannick supervised. Now, one name kept coming up during the investigation, and that was of Lance Corporal Tyrone Miller. He was under Yannick's supervision, and they often butted heads. So on October 24, 2008, Yannick and Kiana were buried together in a full military funeral with a 21-gun salute. Kiana and Yannick's mothers had decided to bury them together. Since they had started out their life together, they always wanted them to be together in death. So on October 28th, just four days later, Lance Corporal Miller, who was 20 at the time, was brought in for questioning. Now, he denies any animosity between him and Sartre Pichizak, claiming he was a mentor to him for over the past nine months he had been in his unit. Now, during the time of the murders, he said he was home with his wife and his two young kids, and they lived on Camp Pendleton's base. Investigators kept pushing, and Miller started to change his story from never having been at Yannick and Kiana's home to, yeah, I had been there a few months before with my wife, to, um, I had been out with friends that night, and we were driving around the Petrzak's neighborhood, which puts them in the location of the murder. So investigators asked Miller, what do you like to wear when he went out? You know, kind of what do you do when you hang out with your friends? What do you wear? And he says, you know, hoodies, baggy shirts, blue bandanas. 
When asked what type of shoes he'd like to wear, he says, oh, probably Jordans or Chucks, Air Force Ones, the same brand that left the tread pattern at the crime scene. So investigators let Miller go because they really did not have enough to hold them, but they did have enough to get a search warrant. So on October 29th, they conducted a search warrant. They arrived at Lance Corporal Miller's door. They knocked on the door. They knew they were inside, but no one would come to answer the door. So police ended up ramming open the door and entering the home. And when they entered the home, they found Miller. He was backing up down a hallway. He bent down and picked up his toddler daughter and held her in front of him as a human shield. And investigators were really shocked by this. Like, what? You're using a child as a human shield? And they kept telling him, put her down put her down, put her down, and thankfully he complied. So Miller and his wife were secured in the living room of their home while investigators conducted their search, and it didn't really take much effort at all to find evidence linking Miller to the murders of Yannick and Kiana. A blue bandana was found in the laundry room. A piece of paper with the Petrazak's address was found under a sofa cushion in the family room. Two debit cards with Kiana's name were found on a table in the master bedroom. Now, also found in the master bedroom was a gold bracelet with a black inlay inscribed with Kiana and Yannick's names on it, along with a man's wedding ring and a pendant attached to a gold necklace. Yannick's dress blue uniform was found hanging in Miller's closet. Four shell casings would be found in a plastic bag, and numerous handguns and pistols, along with a shotgun, would be found in the residence. Now, one of these items, a Beretta 92 FS 9mm pistol, would turn out to be the murder weapon. In a black backpack, investigators would also find more blue bandanas and some mechanics brand gloves and a pair of sneakers would match one of the tread prints left at the crime scene. Investigators would also find other numerous items such as ID cards that didn't belong to Miller or his wife and some jewelry which indicated that there may have been other robberies. But what surprised investigators besides Miller using his daughter as a human shield was that he had hours before they showed up from when they released him because they had to get their warrant. So they thought, oh my gosh, you know, usually if someone's being questioned, they're going to go and get rid of any evidence or hide evidence. Yet he didn't do any of that. It was laying out clearly for the police to see. Lance Corporal Tyrone Miller was placed into custody. So after about one hour of more intense interrogation and confronted with all the evidence that they had collected at his home, he broke. And he told investigators his part in the murders, but seemed to clearly minimize his role. Miller said that it only had been a robbery. That's all that was being planned. And he did this along with two other Marines, Emery Johns, who was 18, and Kevin Cox, who was 20. Miller claims that he only took the ATM and jewelry and that he did admit that he, quote, beat the shit, unquote, out of Sergeant Petrazak. He admitted to spray painting the racial slurs to make it look like a racially motivated crime, and this was done to throw off police, but he denied shooting Yannick and Kiana and placed that blame solely on Emery's John. Kevin Cox, who was an electrical technician in Yannick's squad, and Emery Johns, who also worked under Cox and Yannick's squad, were brought in, and investigators would find out there was a fourth Marine involved, Private Keyshawn Sykes who was 21. He was a clerk in the artillery squadron. Now, Cox and Sykes admitted their involvement, but in denied shooting the newlyweds and also clearly minimized what they did also. Emory John's barracks were then searched on October 30th the next day, and investigators would find a blue bandana under his bed, along with black gloves and a backpack. They would also find a pair of Nike Cortez sneakers that had the same pattern of impressions found on the Petrazak's floors and on Yannick's back. 
from where he had been stomped on. Blood spatter found on those sneakers would match Yannick's DNA. Now, Melissa Buck is another individual in this story, and her apartment was searched on November 2nd, 2008. Melissa had shared an apartment with Keyshawn Sykes and his girlfriend, and Melissa was dating Kevin Cox, even though she would come to find out that Kevin was married and had children at the time of the murders. So when investigators found the following items at her apartment, a two-piece wedding ring set identified by Kiana's mother as belonging to Kiana, and these were just found lying around on a countertop. In the bathroom, more jewelry would be found belonging to Kiana. In a bedroom identified as belonging to Keyshawn Sykes, a pearl ring and a thumb drive would be found out on the nightstand. And in the hallway closet, investigators found a jewelry box with stationery with the letterhead from Kiana's work. So police began looking into other home invasions and they came across one in September 19th, 2008. Eric Thomason and his girlfriend Nancy Balcombe and their child were at their apartment in Oceanside when a young black male wearing a blue bandana over his face entered their apartment holding a gun, telling Eric to get down on the floor in his stomach. That's when three more black males entered along with a white male and a black female. The group began to ransack the apartment, asking Eric to supply them with cocaine and drugs that they believed he had. So Nancy, who was in bed at the time they entered the apartment, was awoken when she felt someone touching her breasts. When she opened her eyes, she saw a young black male pointing a gun in her face. She was brought downstairs to see Eric being kicked, stomped, and pistol whipped. Pistol whipped so hard, it broke one of his teeth. Now, the items taken from Eric and Nancy's apartment were Eric's laptop, an Xbox gaming system and video games, Nancy's jewelry box, a thumb drive, and $1,500 in cash. Investigators were able to identify the white male in the Oceanside robbery as Justin Wessinger. Justin had arrived at Camp Pendleton in January of 2008, and he had become friends with Miller... Johns and Cox. Now, after the Oceanside robbery, the group had returned to Melissa Buck's apartment and split the cash. Although Melissa only got $100, which I think she should have gotten about $250. So Wessinger told investigators that he was in custody on another matter at the time of the homicides from October 1st to the 19th, which was true. He then returned to work on October 20th, and that is when he found out about the murders as Miller had filled him in on what went down that night, identifying Emery's Johns as the shooter, and that the group had tried to burn down the house by pouring alcohol and some type of sugary mixture on the floors, but it just wouldn't catch. I don't know what that sugary mixture is about. So Miller also told him that they had picked up the shell casings. Now, Wessinger would come to find out that the 92FS handgun, 9mm handgun that was the murder weapon, is the one that he owned. He had left it in a backpack at Miller's residence before he was detained on October 1st. So police interview Kevin Cox, also on October 30th. And at first, Kevin denied even being with Miller and the other guy saying, "Mm -mm, I was with Juanita, though he couldn't remember Juanita's last name or her address and technically was dating Melissa Buck at the time of the murders and, oh, also happened to be married with children. He then admitted that Miller, Johns, and another man, Keyshawn Sykes, had gone to the Peaches' ex-home. So he admitted he'd gone, but he said, when we left, I was really, quote, fucked up, unquote, by that time. And so Cox claims he stayed in the truck until he heard the gunshots and then went inside and helped carry the bags out. But then he admitted that, well, I actually had been the one to ring the doorbell and get Yannick to turn off the alarm system that they had and answered the door. But then he claims, hey, I went back to the truck and just waited till they had to carry out the stolen goods. 
So what police figured happened on the night of October 15th, 2008? So this is based upon all of their interviews. So Melissa Buck claims that Miller, Cox, Johns, and Sykes had left her apartment around 10 or 11 p.m. that evening and returned closer to 4 a.m. carrying a shotgun and smelling like gunpowder. So the group had planned to rob the Petrizak's residence, but when they were unable to sneak into the home, they had Cox go to the front door to see if Janik would answer it, and the others lied in wait, wearing the blue bandanas and gloves. So when Yannick answered the door, they bum-rushed him, quickly hog-tying him and putting a sock in his mouth as a gag. Eventually, they did the same with Kiana once she was brought downstairs. So when they couldn't find the money they thought they would find, based upon Yannick's stories, they had begun to torture the couple so they could get Kiana his ATM pin number. Yannick was stomped on by the group as evidenced by the marks left on him. After removing the stolen goods to the vehicle they parked outside, they returned to the home. And that's when Millers and Sykes began to sexually assault Kiana in front of Yannick. After sexually assaulting Kiana with a sex toy on the table while her husband was made to watch, Johns did use a couch cushion as a form of a silencer and shot Yannick and Kiana in the head. Kiana was the last one to be shot. Then they tried to set small fires around the home in the hopes of covering up their crime. And when that didn't work, they just decided to spray paint the racial slurs to make it look like a hate crime. They left Sergeant Petrzak bloody, beaten, and bound, while Kiana was left naked and bloody on the living room floor 90 minutes after they first entered. So police felt that there may have been another motive just besides robbery. As they discovered two days prior to the murders, Yannick had a conversation with Miller where he told him there was no chance of him being promoted as he didn't feel he earned that distinction yet based upon his job performance. Or at least that's what Miller would claim in their upcoming trials. So all four, Miller, Cox, Johns, and Sykes were charged with two counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances as the murders were committed in the course of a robbery and sexual assault. All of them pleaded not guilty on November 20th, 2008. Now, all of them were dishonorably discharged from the Marines, and on February 2nd, 2009, the district attorney gave notice that he planned to seek the death penalty against all four defendants. Prosecutor Daniel DeLamont set out to show the juries the double lives that these Marines had led, with being soldiers during the daytime and criminals at night, committing numerous home invasions and burglaries throughout the Riverside area. So in the spring of 2009, their preliminary hearings take place just to show if there was enough evidence on the four to go to trial, which mm, there was. So Melissa Buck testified after being granted immunity. Now, at first, she denied being given any jewelry or talking about any statements she had overheard that night in her apartment. So the judge allowed the prosecutor to play the tape of the interviews Buck had given where she was initially interviewed. And she told investigators as to what she saw and heard the night of the murders, being given jewelry by Cox, her boyfriend, upon their return to her apartment. And she also heard one of the defendants say, quote, good job, E, you earned your stripes, unquote. Now, on the stand, Buck claimed, well, no, no, I was lying then, and I'm telling you the truth now. None of that is true, but I don't think the judge believed her. The preliminary hearing had to be suspended, though, when Keyshawn Sykes stood up in the middle of the hearing and began urinating and flinging droplets of his urine around the courtroom, claiming he was trying to banish unseen demons. The judge halted the proceedings and ordered a psychiatric evaluation of Sykes. Now, his mental competency hearing began on May 24, 2011, and on May 28, 2011, after two hours, he was found to be mentally fit, so the judge ordered proceedings to continue for all four defendants. 
defendants. So the first trials took place in March 2013, and only three defendants went on trial at that time. So they're all in the same courtroom. It's Tyra Miller and Emery Johns. They're going to share the same jury. And Kevin Cox had his own jury. And this was due to the lengthy interview he initially gave. So for some reason, because of that or what they found out from that interview, he got a separate jury. Keyshawn Sykes' trial would come later as there was limited room in the courthouse. So all three were facing the death penalty and charged again with first-degree murder, robbery, sexual assault, two counts of special circumstances, which was because the murder was committed in the commission of a robbery. Now, the prosecutor said all of this was premeditated, with Tyrone Miller being the mastermind, Emery John as the shooter, and Kevin Cox of playing his part in getting Yannick to answer the door so they could all gain entry. Evidence was presented at trial included blood found on Emery John's shoes, which was Yannick's. All three defendants' shoe prints matched the shoes they owned. Prosecutors were able to bring in the Oceanside apartment invasion robbery as it had occurred a little over a month prior to the Petrzak murders, and it had similarities to the current case. Now, they weren't allowed to bring in any of the other robberies that the group were suspected of committing, only this one because it closely resembled what happened to the Petrzaks. So Wessinger, who was a fellow Marine, testified that shortly after the murders, Miller and John confessed their involvement and confessed with John being the shooter. But one of the most shocking pieces of evidence was a post that Emery John had posted on his MySpace page. And this was right before Yannick and Kiana were executed. And what he posted in MySpace for you don't know, that's kind of an early Facebook, (laughs) was, quote, chillin', waitin' for the killin', unquote. Now, the motive for this group was to get a big payoff by stealing the wedding gifts that Yannick had talked about, the money they thought that was in the home, and really to get revenge on Yannick for being tough on them. Tyrone Miller was the only one to take the stand, where he changed his story to now say that the murders and robbery had not been part of the plan. The only plan they had or at least he had, was to go to Sergeant Petrzak and talk to him about what he told him about not getting his promotion, and he says it just spiraled out of control. Now, he claimed when Yannick told him he wouldn't be getting this promotion, he had gone home, he had gotten drunk on like two bottles of hard liquor, and he just kind of worked himself up to wanting to go speak to him about it. Here's the question I have. Okay, but he told you two days prior to the murder, and you took three other men with you and a lot of guns. The defense of each of the men tried to argue that their client didn't really play a major role in the home invasion murders and should be spared the death penalty. After four months and less than three days of deliberations, the jury had come back with verdicts. All guilty. Each of them convicted of first-degree murder. Emery Johns was convicted of being the actual shooter. Tyrone Miller alone was convicted of sexually assaulting Kiana with sexual penetration with a foreign object. Emery John, Tyrone Miller were sentenced to death. Kevin Cox was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Remember, he had his own jury. So one last trial took place in August 2014, and that is of Keyshawn Sykes. He was now 24. And during that trial, Keyshawn, whose nickname was Psycho, admitted to cutting off Kiana's clothes, but downplayed the rest of his involvement. He was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances and one count of sexual assault after less than two hours of jury deliberations. He was also sentenced to death. Now, where it stands today is I believe all the defendants are working through the appeals process. Once you get a death penalty conviction, that kicks off automatic appeals. But so far from what I've been able to research, it looks like all of them 
have been upheld. Now, I did find something interesting. Keyshawn Sykes is on loveaprisoner.com. Apparently, it's this website that prisoners can post letters looking for pen pals. Thought I would read you his letter. And you can let me know what you think. Definitely reach out to us on our contact page. I'm, I'm just curious to see what you all think of this. So this is his letter. Smile? Why? Because you make me smile. Greetings. My name is Sean, and I'm a kleptomaniac. But I swear, I'm taking something for it. During this difficult time in my life, it would help to have a few friends to support me mentally. Since real friends are hard to find, I am hoping you would be interested in being a ray of sunshine that all of us need to endure those dark times. As you brighten my days with your presence, I will do my best to always make you smile and encourage you in every way as our friendship grows. Now, I'm a former U.S. Marine who spent three years on active duty. I'm a diamond-eyed tourist with a pocket full of jokes. After earning both a GED and high school diploma, I'm looking to pursue a BA degree. These accomplishments have allowed me to travel around the U.S., but now journey in the world has been halted, unless you would be willing to open your world to me. My hobbies include drawing, painting, writing, reading, music, crafting sports, and learning how to enjoy every breath of life. Now you don't have to be shy. Just grab a piece of paper and let's share a few laughs with a smile or two. Despite what the state of California would have you believe, I don't bite. I tickle. Looking forward to you being a ray of sunshine in my life. Semper. Sean. So yeah, that's his letter. Interestingly enough, he doesn't mention death row or what got him there. So that is the story of the murders of Yannick and Kiana Petrzak. Reach out to us. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. We're pretty much out on any platform out there right now. So if you get an opportunity and can leave us a review, we would really appreciate that too. Hopefully Maddie's back with us next week. This is just a crazy time, as you all know, so unprecedented. Maddie and I hope that you're all safe and secure. So remember, if you see something, say something. Like maybe Melissa Buck could have told the police that her boyfriend was a robber and they could have been stopped ahead of time. I don't know. But if you see something, say something. You might have that missing piece of the puzzle that could solve a crime. Let's remember that even in these crazy times, we need to look out for one another and we need to be kind. So until next time, guys, bye. (music) 